0: This is a Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu slash library. Younger sons, bastards, I said it, devils, and me. Um, The first part of that is literally the title of my 400-page doctoral dissertation that I wrote, where I looked at characters in Victorian novels who I had called unenfranchised meaning that they were either not the firstborn, they had bad luck. For some reason, they just were not in a position of power. But by the end of the stories, they ended up being the guys who everybody was looking at. They were the guys who had done great things, despite everybody kind of expecting a little bit less. It wasn't assumed they would do great things, but they did great things anyway. That's what I set out to write about. Um, and I started writing that in 1999 and I finally finished writing about that specific topic for that occasion in 2006, so it's a long time. But I find myself that I'm not really finished writing about that topic even today. I rewrote part of it yesterday, which I'll talk with you about at the end, because what I really ended up, the heart of the book ended up being about me. I didn't try to do that, but somehow I did that anyway. Um, So this past summer, I was studying in Hawaii. I was studying Japanese, and my homework for that night was to write a haiku. You guys know what a haiku is, right? 17 syllables. 575. That sounds like an easy task, right? 17 syllabus, not 400 pages. So I've done one extreme and the other. But I was having a really hard time writing the haiku. Maybe it's because I was sitting on a beach at Waimea Bay, which I have to tell you is not ugly to look at. Maybe it's because I did my homework while drinking what we affectionately called beach brew, which is like lemonade, But then you add the beer and then you add the vodka. And you put it in a red Solo cup. Right? Because we're on a beach. No glass. Maybe it's because I had spent hours going through my Japanese flashcards. I didn't want to embarrass myself. I had to be the person to introduce the class to the Japanese consul general. And I was panicking. Because I had to speak to him in Japanese. Even though he's fluent in English. I'm not fluent in Japanese. I know you're shocked. But I'm not. But I was really sitting there, kind of lost in thought. And I was thinking about this haiku. I was thinking about what it means to try to get to the heart of things, because that's really what a haiku forces you to do, is to really get at the essence of it, the heart of it. Uh, And I was thinking about my students, because I was teaching an online class while I was there. And my constant struggle to get my students, and some of my students are here today, to get to the heart of it, to ask themselves one word, If you had to sum up that huge project in one word, what would it be? And I was also thinking about my dissertation. Because I just, for some reason, I cannot wipe that experience out of my mind. Um, So it pops up every now and again. And I was thinking about really what the heart of that was. And it's always for me been a search. I've always been searching for what the heart of it is. What does it really mean? And today that's what I want to talk with you about, is really the heart of my writing process, the heart of that search, and where that continuous search has taken me, and continues to take me. As I said, I rewrote part of it yesterday morning, so it's not really um, that old. Anytime I talk about this process, I always come back to the lottery conversation. People who know me well know my lottery moment. So I came home from work, Didn't really care for my job and business. My bosses were my parents. So that's awkward when you don't want to work there anymore. That's a very strange resignation letter to write. Um, And then still get together for Thanksgiving, right? So I walked in the door and my wife said to me, if we won the lottery. Darn that word if. Otherwise, she would have said, we won the lottery, and we would, I'd still hopefully be here, but I'd have on a nicer suit. So, she said, if we won the lottery, what would you do? What would you do with the rest of your life if we won the lottery? Wow. That's a big question, wouldn't you say? What are you going to do for the rest of your life? And I was sitting there thinking, what would I do? Wow. Wow. I don't like my job. This was not news to people who knew me, certainly not news to her. She had to listen to me complain about it all the time. And my bosses, a.k.a. mom and dad. um, So I'm thinking to myself, wow, I've always loved teaching. When I was a little boy, I would go with my grandmother to the public school on holy days. We had a lot of holy days back then at the Catholic school, so I was off a lot. And I would go with my grandmother, and she taught first grade and I would go and be her little teaching assistant, my first experience as a TA. So I've always liked that. I've always loved reading, art. I was an English major in college. I was president of the Glee Club. I conducted the Glee Club. Wow. In my first business interview, they said, what, what makes you different from everybody else? I said, I'm the best writer you're ever gonna meet. Hmm. But here I am, in business. And I had dodged all of those things all of that time. I never actually did what I wanted to do. I did something I didn't like. And I think the more important moment there of the search is not what am I doing and what would I do, but why. Why am I not doing it? Why do I keep avoiding those things? Really, the things that make me different. Ah, uh, I'm avoiding all the things that make me different because I want to fit in. I wanted to fit in in a family who was real involved in business. I worked for my family business. Isn't that obvious? Um, I kept trying to avoid those things. And then I'm thinking, why? Why am I going to keep doing this? I was young then. I'm not young now. I was young then. So I literally took a huge leap of faith in that moment. And I said, this is the, word, the line that I say all the time, I said I would go to college, I'd go back to grad school, I'd get a PhD, and I would teach college. That's just what spewed out in that moment. And my wife said, we didn't win the lottery, but if I were you, that's what I would do. And we'll figure out a way to make it happen, that's what you should do. So I did, right? It was that easy. I just decided to teach college, so I walked in the next day and I was teaching college. Right? No. It's a long journey between there and the moment when I walked into the first classroom. But I had to change my life. And I did it, again, by actually asking myself what I wanted. And I say this to my students all the time. What do you want to say? Well, I had never said what I wanted to say. And I want all of you to say it sooner than that. Unless you have a super, super nice wife that I, like I do who said, let's, let's make a change here. Okay? So, on to graduate school. Easy peasy, right? Graduate school super easy. Okay? So, I tell my students all the time, I know what it's like to be in school after a break. I know what it's like to have a full-time job while you're in school. I know what it's like to be married while you're in school. Part of the time I was doing this, I had a brand new baby at home. I know what all of that is like. They don't seem to believe me because, well, I'm this middle-aged guy now, right? I seem to know what I'm talking about, but that's not the way it's always been. I sat in graduate school and I didn't think about this a whole lot until much later. But I always felt like someday somebody was going to figure out that I had no idea what I was talking about. That, in fact, I didn't know everything. I was scared to death they would figure out I was a total sham because someone in the room always seems to know more than I do. Right? Anybody ever had those feelings? They're going to figure it out. Well, ultimately, again, as I said, I know where you've been. I went there. Took a huge leap of faith and went there. And every time I think of graduate school, I think about this one moment. Was sitting in a classroom, and we were talking about Jane Eyre, which I love as a book. But we kept talking about Jane. We kept talking about all the women. And I have no problem with talking about the women. I really don't. Right? I like women. It's not a problem. But I raised my hand and asked what I thought was a fairly innocent question. I said, what about the men? That's all I said. I didn't say down with women. I said, what about the men? And one of my classmates, named Catherine, she stood up, she was so mad. And she said, the men don't matter. Thought, okay, the men don't matter. Thank you so much, Um, but you know what? It's grad school, so you can't just stand up and smack her. (laughs) That's not cool. So I had to actually figure out a way to answer the question in the way the graduate students answer the question. So what am I gonna do about it? I'm gonna research it, I'm gonna write about it. So I wrote about it for 400 pages and seven years. I looked at the guys in the books. I saw some patterns. One of the patterns that kept striking me was they keep talking about these younger guys. The older brothers, a lot of times they were jerks. They were born into the expectation they would rule the world. And then a lot of times they did. And they didn't have to be nice about it. Didn't have to work with other people. It didn't matter. Because they ruled the world. But their younger brothers were often talked about as these nice guys who were very adaptable. They could roll with the changes. They also were often very nice. They're just nice guys. They had good hearts. They were good fathers. They understood what everybody else was going through. They went through it themselves. They were born with everyone assuming that they wouldn't amount to greatness. So if they did, it was because they decided to do it. And they worked very hard at it. And after I had turned in the 400 page magnum opus, the sigh of relief as I'm driving down Lakeshore Drive, it hit me. Oh my God, I just wrote a 400 page book about myself. And I know that seems perhaps egocentric, but it's hard for me to separate myself from my writing. And I was talking about that with my students in class today. I think that's why writing is so hard. Because it's hard to separate yourself, because the reason you care about what you care about is because of who you are, that's why you care. And when you care, it's hard, it's especially hard to be honest about it. So I kept writing, I kept searching, but it wasn't over. And in 2010, when my co-authors and I, Troy and Mike and Eric and I decided to write a textbook. I was writing the chapter on my writing process. How do you do it? How do you get it going? And I used my dissertation as my example. And I was writing about it and talking about the stuff we just talked about. And my friend Troy says to me in one of our little meetings, there's something you aren't saying here. Right? There's just something you're not saying. I can tell it. I know you. I don't know what it is. But you just aren't saying it. I know it. So I rewrote it. And I acknowledged in there, in my writing, very honestly, that what I was writing about was myself, because I am a younger son. I grew up in the shadow of an older brother who's an amazing guy, he really is. But he was valedictorian. I was right behind him. We look a lot alike. People called me Bob my whole life. My older brother then went to Yale, where he was summa cum laude. Then he was a Rhodes Scholar and has a PhD from Oxford. Then he went to Harvard Law School. And now he's a 46-year-old federal judge in Chicago. Well, that's a damn big tree. And big trees cast really long, wide shadows. So what I was really writing about was me. And I, in fact, was different from everybody else in my family, like the younger sons were. You know, I'm not the youngest, I'm not the oldest, I'm not the girl. I'm in the middle. One year, my 17th birthday, I went to bed, yelled out to my whole family, happy birthday to me. And I went to bed. Because, well, you know, again, I'm not the oldest, I'm not the youngest who's a football star, and I'm not the girl. So, eh, they forgot. I'm so close to being over that. I'm just about there. (laughs) I hope by the time I turn 50 that I will be over that. But the bottom line with what I'm doing and every time I've gone back and thought about and reflected and searched and dug deeper is I keep going for the heart of it. And the heart of it is, again, I wrote me. And I think we all do that in our very best writing. We write us, we write ourselves. And when you do that, when I do that, people respond because it's real, it's true. It's the authentic writing, it's the authentic you. Um, So back to, very quickly, to my haiku, because I know I'm at the end, but you know it's only 17 syllables. So here's the haiku I wrote that day on the beach. I dreamed of freedom from shadows, doubts, fear, but now I thrive in cool shade. But I don't know if I was being wholly honest then either. So I rewrote it again yesterday. So this process just keeps going and going. So here's what I wrote yesterday. From sunless shadows, which I spelled S-O-N, I feared never shining bright. I glow in cool shade. And honestly, the difference between shadows and shade is huge. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu slash library.